So good morning. My name is Nathan Rhodes. I am the associate youth pastor here. So it's really great working here. Been here since May. This is not my first time speaking or preaching or teaching the Bible. Let me tell you, I just love, love teaching the Bible. And I don't have any kids. I'm 22. I'm young, so I don't have any parenting experience. But hear me out. I love teaching, preaching. I love God's Word, and I love your kids. Um, and I've gotten to know a lot of your kids this summer. I've gotten to know them at camp, at mission trip, at leadership retreat. And so hopefully, as we walk through Scripture, we'll have some things that God says to us or God um, gleans through His Scripture to us. And in addition to loving your kids, I want your kids to have parents who love them. And so I want, just as a family, us to be making disciples who love God and love people and help others do the same. And so as we dive into scripture today, I'm super excited. I'm 22. I just graduated college. I grew up in Dallas. Um, I grew up in kind of a South Dallas area. Um, And the church I grew up in is called Duncanville First Baptist Church. Um, I grew up in Oak Cliff, Texas, to be specific. And in my kind of church um, that I grew up in, it was okay for people to say amen. It was okay for people to say, that's right. I've heard a lot of shout downs in my time preaching, and so I'm totally comfortable with it. You can say, amen, that's right. You can say, preach, and I'm going to say, I'm trying. Uh, My favorite one, probably, there's a couple others, like there's like shots, that comes from a really ghetto friend of mine named Andrew, and that's like shots at your soul, like, man, that touched my soul, that like 45 calibered my soul. Uh, my favorite one, one time I was preaching, and this little old lady, sweet little old lady, stood up, and I mean, she like forced herself up, and she goes, tell the truth and shame the devil, and I had never heard that before, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm done, bye, have a good day, she said, more than I'll ever say, she said, she preached, like, she was ready, so uh, shout me down if you want to. We're going to have fun this morning. We're going to do things probably a little different. I'm not Brett Levi, obviously. I'm probably the second or third or sixth or somewhere down the line. Uh, so we're going to do it. Like I said, I'm from South Dallas. Uh, I grabbed a picture from Google Maps. There's a yellow square. I'm from somewhere in that area. So that kind of gives you a picture. Uh, In that area, we moved to that area, to Oak Cliff, to take care of my grandfather. Um, And taking care of my grandfather was interesting because he was of that generation that kind of is okay with being vulgar, a little bit racist sometimes. Um, He was of that generation that if he's, like, on his deathbed in the hospital, he's going to take all of his effort to, like, slap the nurse's bottom. He's that generation. Uh, And so... We lived in this fun neighborhood. It was pretty ghetto um, just because the people who lived there, we had a pastor who was our right neighbor and then a drug dealer who was the neighbor on the left. It was crazy. Uh, So living with my grandfather in Oak Cliff was very, very, very interesting. And it kind of ties into what we're talking about. I mean, he would cuss at us if he was angry. He'd hit us with a newspaper. Uh, It was hard. I mean, it was like, it was hard in the neighborhood to begin with. And then living with my grandfather, there were times that me and my siblings would go to my parents and be like, okay, this is what Papa did. 
can you go talk to him? And my parents would go talk to him, and we knew at the end of the day that we'd have to stick it out and love my grandfather and take care of my grandfather. Uh, so our bottom line for today is when we're going through pivotal circumstances, big moments, tough times, God is doing something in us to grow us so that he can do something through us. So that's, that's the bottom line. I just want to give you that so you can marinate a little bit, like a really good steak that you're going to throw on the grill later and use with your kids. And so keep that in mind. So living with my grandfather, little did I know that later on, I don't know, when I was 18, so we moved in when I was really young, little did I know that I would be working at that home church, First Baptist Duncanville, where the average age was like 62 to 63 I mean, if the average age is that, that means you've got a lot of older folks, especially in a church like it, where it was, it was technically a large Baptist church. It had about 1,000 people on a Sunday. So if you've got 1,000 people and your average age is around 62 or 63, somewhere in there, I mean, there's a lot of sweet old people. And so I think at some point, God said, okay, Nate, one of the things you're going to learn from living with your grandfather is patience. I mean, some good stories, some fun stories was like one time I was walking through the living room and my grandfather like grabs my arm and he's like, Nate. I'm like, yeah, Papa. And he is like, come here. I got to tell you something. And that's just how he talks. It's bad. And he's like, Nate, I ran over a squirrel today. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, he just admitted to killing a squirrel, like, some, like, animal homicide, like, roadkill. And he was happy about it because we had pecan trees. I mean, he was crazy, but I learned patience from him. There was one day that he handed me a bag, and he said, hey, Nate, can you take this out to the trash? And it was literally, like, a used diaper. And it was, I learned patience from him. And, and it was good, and I didn't realize it until years Later, I didn't realize it until I used those patient skills, if that's a thing, with the church that I was serving in when I was 18. And I was their interim youth minister, and I was their youth pastor for a little while, and we did so much with the older folks, and it was amazing. And so these sometimes tough situations that we go through uh, can be pivotal, pivotal, and God can use them for his good, for his glory. And it's huge, and it's crazy. And there's hard things that all of us go through. Um, and maybe some of our kids haven't gone through quite yet. Um, and so the important thing, when hard times happen, when cancer happens, when somebody gets in a car accident, is how do we respond to these pivotal moments? Uh, and so we're going to go, if you have your Bible, we're going to go to James really quick. And I want you to just get the idea that you have to realize that you're in a process, that you're in a process. And so here in James, we have it lined out. James chapter 1, verse 2. So verse 2 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that by the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And then it goes on verse 4, and steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
God, God wants to take us from where we're at. He wants to take your kids. He wants to love them where we're at and bring us to completion. So this James verse is, is awesome. It, we're supposed to have a joy. We're supposed to have joy in hard times, and that's just that's hard for some of us, and I get that. And we're supposed to work through it, let steadfastness have its full effect, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God wants to grow us, like we're talking about grow up. God wants to progress our faith and to lead us to higher and better things. And he not only wants that for us kids in the room, but he also wants it for our kids. So we're going to spend the rest of our time when we're in Scripture in John. So if you'll flip over to John chapter 11, uh, one of the coolest conversations I think I've had to date was with Mr. David Selman. Uh, my girlfriend is right over there this morning. She is finishing up college. Um, so I was having one of those conversations that's really hard in your life where you sit down with your father-in-law, who's not your father-in-law yet, to ask him if he'll be your father-in-law. Because I was, so I was sitting down, breakfast, asking Emily's dad, okay, can I have your blessing? I want to marry your daughter. She's pretty awesome. It's important to both of us that I ask for your blessing. And so in this conversation uh, where I was talking with her dad and talking about life and talking about all these great things, he said one of the best things that I've ever heard, and I think I'm blessed to have somebody who hopefully will be part of my family someday. He said, through all the hard things in my life, I think God has taught me something through each individual thing. And he said, and I don't think I would be the same. I don't think God could have done it any other way. And I mean, this is a man who almost lost his wife um, when her appendix exploded. This is a man who lost a business at one point because he had a bad business partner. Uh, he's been through some stuff. He's been through some hard stuff. And him saying at breakfast when we're talking about this big thing, marriage, him saying, I've been through some stuff and you just got to realize that God's teaching you. I mean, that's huge. It's huge for me. And so we were talking about this stuff, and we just went on through the conversation, and I've just been encouraged ever since because it's, it's what we're talking about. It's these hard times God uses for, for our good and to grow us. Uh, so we're going to talk about John 11. And in John 11, it's a hard story. It's a hard situation. Uh, right before John 11, Jesus was going to be stoned by some Jewish people. Uh, and then he left to get away from them. And so John 11, if you'll read with me, it's pretty long, so we're going to break it up a little bit. It says, John 11, verse 1, says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Some of you probably remember that story where some expensive oil, and then proceeded to wipe his feet with her hair. This is an important ongoing story. Whose brother Lazarus was ill, so Mary's brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, uh, he said, 
This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of the Lord, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So from the get-go, uh, something bad happens, and so they call for Jesus. And Jesus knows what's going on. He's all-knowing. He goes, this is going to be for the glory of the Lord. This is going to be a hard situation, but it's going to end up glorifying the Lord, which is what we should all want. So, verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was because he was trying not to get stoned, um, and it was also probably God's will for him to stay there. And then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. And his disciples said to him, Rabbi, those Jews were just seeking to stone you and are going to be there again? There's a question mark there. They're confirming what they already think. Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Really short and quick. That means if you're with Jesus, the light of the world, the Savior, if you're where he wants you to be, you're going to be okay. If you're walking at nighttime, which is not with the Savior, things might go bad. You might stumble. That's the metaphor here. Uh, So after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I have to go awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Because they're just thinking he's taking a nap like all of us would on a Sunday afternoon. And then uh, Jesus said um, he had spoken to them of his death. But they thought he was meaning he was resting in sleep. And so Jesus had to say it more plainly, like he has to do with all of us. Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that it happened when I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Jesus knows the implications. Jesus knows what's going to happen. Jesus is in control. And he says to them, let's go. So Thomas called the twin, uh, said to his fellow disciples, let's go that we may die with him. So his disciples are just like ready to go into battle, ready to be with him. Good stuff. Loyalty. Uh, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Lazarus is stinky. Uh, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Mary and Martha had heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if, it, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So there's some faith there. That's good. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. That's huge. That's awesome. Let's keep going. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection She's thinking of the future, not present. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So we're going to keep going. I know this is a lot, but it's the story. So we're going to do it. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, 
The teacher is here, and he is calling for you. And when she had heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus was not yet there into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise and quickly go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Hang on, it gets better. She's not weeping. Now when Jesus came to where Jesus was, or sorry, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews came out with her also weeping, he was deeply moved, his spirit greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And shortest passage in the English, uh, Jesus wept. So then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he have opened the blind man's eyes and also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave. A stone lay against it, and Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. She's smart. He stinks. For he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So back at the beginning of the story, we talked about Jesus knows some glory is going to happen in this place. And it's going to be cool. So did you not know that you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you will always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when Jesus had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice and said, Lazarus, come out. When the man who had died came out, his hands and feet were bound with linen strips, and his face was wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to him, said to them, unbind him and let him go. And then probably maybe the coolest part um, of this after a dead man coming back to life. Uh, Verse 45, Many of the Jews, therefore, who came with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. And this is is what we hope. This is what we hope for is, is great things will happen, miraculous things will happen, crazy things will happen. And thank you for bearing with me, but it's a great story. Miraculous things will happen, and then people will come to believe. That's what we all want. That's why we do this. That's why we go to church. That's why we're part of the body. Uh, That's why we serve Jesus in this way that we do, is so that people will believe. It's why we take your kids to youth camp. It's why we take kids on mission trips, so they'll see amazing things. I mean, you can see in this story that there's some pain and there's some hurt. You can see in the story that it's a tough time, and, and Jesus knew the whole thing the whole time, and he knew what was going to happen. So in these pivotal times, in these big moments in our lives when bad stuff happens, the important thing is how we respond. And there's, there's a lot of pain in the world, and I know this. Uh, but the one thing that I know to be true is you can do two things with pain. You can do two things with hurt. You can either let it be your prison, you can let it take over your life, you can let it run you down, you can let prison fear the devil, not to tell the truth and shame the devil right now, you can let it be your prison, or you can let it be your platform. That's huge. 
That's crazy. So when you're talking about things, when you're going through hard times, what do you do? Do you let it control you and contain you? Or do you say, my God is better. My God is in control. And through him, I can do anything that he wants me to do. And you tell people what's going on. And you say, yeah, I have cancer, but I'm going to be okay because I have Jesus. I mean, what do you do? Do you, do you cry? Do you hide your face? Do you mourn? Probably for a time, but at some point, there's a Lord and Savior to be praised because you know where you're going. So we can let it be our platform. We can let it be our prison. It's, it's your choice how you respond to these hard times. Uh, I would say that it would be better for it to be your platform. And, and I would hope that you would choose for things to be your platform. Imagine what it would be like if we had a church where instead of people hiding their past, imagine if our church was a bunch of people who just showed their scars. And they said, this is what I've been through. This is where I was. I can't do anything about who I was. But this is who I am now. This is where I am now. And this is what the Lord did in my life. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could stop looking at what people have done and probably judging and gossiping and all this bad stuff? Wouldn't it be amazing if we could stop looking at what they've done and who the Lord wants them to become? The Lord wants all of us to to grow and to be completed and to be redeemed. And I would say that the greater the fall, the deeper the pain, the bigger the hurt, the, the crazier the situation, the more room there is for grace, the more room there is for redemption. And I'm going to say this about me because I can say this honestly. If any of you ever go through anything super hard in your life or even commit a crime and go to jail, I mean, I don't know all of you that well, but I would be the person who would go and visit you in jail, and Brett would too, and our pastors would too, we would, we would be there for you because walking through hard times is what the church is here for. It's our job. It's, it's part of being the community that God created us to be. And we want to be people who love God and love people and help others do the same. And part of that is walking through these hard times and bearing our scars and bearing our sins and going, I need help. And it's not like forgiving people's sins and letting them just do whatever they want, but it's giving them a process and helping them get better and be who God wants them to be. And that's the same thing for your kids. I mean, when we're walking through stuff with your kids, hard times with your kids, we want them to be the people that you want them to be, the people we want them to be, and the people God wants them to be. Um, So here, we're going to wrap up because we don't have much time. Here's Here's how we respond to these hard situations. Here is our application for the day. First step, run to Jesus. And I'm going to talk really quick because I want to give you all time to talk with your groups. First step, run to Jesus. When hard times happen, when big times happen, and let me say that not every pivotal situation is necessarily a bad thing. It could just be a hard choice. It could be a big choice. For your kids, it could be a big choice, like what college you go to. Pivotal situations aren't always a bad thing. They just most of the time happen to be bad things or hard things. Um, So first step, run to Jesus. That's our only option. That's our first option. When you mess up, 
you go to the Lord. When something bad happens, you take it to the Lord. When hurricanes and earthquakes and sin happens, when, when sickness happens, we run to Jesus. And that's, that's really our best and first option. I mean, I'm telling you, I've been through some stuff. Like, I tell stories all day. Run to Jesus. It's the best option. And let me tell you about some stuff in my life. My dad doesn't go to church anymore. This is hard for me. I think he's a Christian. I think he's saved. But, you know, he doesn't go to church anymore. So there are some doubts in my worrying head because I want to see my dad in heaven someday. And so you as parents, your kids aren't going to hear this, you as parents have to run to Jesus. The fact that I worry about my dad and my brother um, and their salvation, that's not a, and I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody, but hear me, that's not a weight you want your kids to bear. That's not something you want them to have to worry about. So when you mess up, your kids need to see you run into Jesus. And stepping back from this sermon and this series a little bit, you need to run to Jesus daily, not just when the bad stuff happens, not just when the stuff hits the fan, not just like when someone dies. They need to see you run to Jesus daily, and they need to see it modeled. There's a family conference that we just went to for the last few days, and it was amazing. One of the guys who talked and presented at this conference has done a study for like the last 30 years, a study on 3,000 families. 30 years, 3,000 families. That's an insane survey. That's an insane study to do, to keep up with 3,000 families for 30 years. And that's an insane sample size. You want to know what one of the biggest contributing factors to having kids who love the Lord? In quotes, spiritually alive parents. One of the biggest things that will pass your faith down, that will encourage your kids to seek the Lord, is when they see you seeking the Lord. And that's huge. And keep me accountable someday when I have kids, and I'll try and be a spiritually alive parent for my kids. So run to Jesus. Uh, get help. This is back to the community thing. You need help. You need a mentor. I need a mentor. You need people that you're mentoring. But in these tough times in everyday life, getting a second opinion will never hurt you. So get help. It's, it's plain and simple. If you have a problem, if something's going on, ask people to pray for you. Go to coffee with somebody. Take somebody out to dinner. Come to the church office. We're open a lot of hours of the week. We'll help. We're here for you. We love you guys, and we want to we help. So get help in these hard times, in these big moments. Uh, get a second opinion. One of the best things that I've ever done is gone to my professors while I was in college and go, hey, I'm really struggling with this r big decision. Here's what I think. Here's the two ways that I could go about it, because I overthink everything. You know, I'm one of those people. Pretty annoying, I know. Uh, I'm annoying to myself sometimes. And I'll go, okay, either I could go about it this way or I could go about it this way. And they go, those are both viable options, but have you thought about this? And I'm like, no, I never did. Because I'm young and dumb and all this stuff. So, get help. Get a second opinion. Third thing, thank God. There is there's no time in your life 
when you cannot be thankful to the Lord for what he's given you and what he's done for your family and what he's done for all of us. I mean, I can't begin to express how thankful I am to Jesus for what he's done in my life. It's, it's insane, and I've been through some hard stuff. But when Jesus is with you in the storm, when you have these pivotal situations in your life where you're going, I feel like I'm far away from the Lord, and then at some point you realize he's been there the whole time through the storm, through the hard thing, and you've got your church family too, hopefully, and, and there's priesthood of the believers, which is what we as baptism, Baptists believe which means you can talk directly to the Lord. You don't have to go through one of us pastors. You can sit in your bedroom and get on your knees and talk to him. There is nothing that you cannot be thankful for. And if there's anything to be thankful for, I can't really be thankful for the years before that I, you know, made bad decisions or anything. But I can be thankful that Jesus was there the whole time, and that's how I pay it back to the devil. And I go, you know what, devil? You thought you were going to use all these years against me. But look where I am now because of Jesus. It's, it's amazing. There's never a time when you can't be thankful. So how do we respond? I'll tell you some stories. Uh, my grandma got cancer at some point. She was 82. She's about to go anyway. Sorry. You know, she lived her whole life as a missionary in Honduras with her husband. They did that for like 60 years. I mean, by the time they came back to the States, when she was like 70-something, she was ready to go see Jesus already. That's just the state of life she was in. And so when she got to be 82 and she got cancer, I hate cancer. It like runs in my family. I mean, my aunts have had it. My uncle had it. My uncle had breast cancer. That's kind of unheard of and special. And he's adopted. That doesn't even run in your family. He's not even a blood relation. But my other part of the family, it runs in too. I hate cancer. So when my grandma got cancer, she'd been a missionary her whole life. We know she's going to heaven. So what'd she do? She's in the hospital in Virginia, because that's where my uncle, who's adopted, you just learned that. Uh, that's where they live. So she's in the hospital. And this woman would stay up till 12... And she's like a little old lady. She would stay up till 12 her whole life, putting one of those, like, vacuum hot air bags on her head to make her hair curly. Like, this woman loved her hair her whole life. And oftentimes, she would be on the phone calling people that she loved while she was doing it. So I don't know how they felt, but if I just heard, like, a vacuum the whole time I'm trying to talk to you on the phone, I would be like, what's going on? Turn it off. Talk to me. This is important. You're calling me at 12 o'clock at night which, if they live in Virginia, is a different time zone than us. That's crazy. So this woman loved her hair. She got in the hospital. She was literally green because the cancer had spread to pancreas all over. She was green. Her hair wasn't really there like she liked it to be. There was one time when we went to visit her in the hospital in Virginia uh, in she asked us, hey, I don't know where my hairbrush is. Can you buy me a new one? Even though she, like, didn't have any hair. That's crazy. This woman loved her hair. You know what she said to me one time? Our parents were really intentional, and they really let us, uh, 
They really let us have some alone time with her. And I'm thankful for that. Because you know what my grandma told me? She told me, the devil took my hair, but he didn't kill me yet. So what am I going to do? I'm going to tell people about Jesus in this hospital. And I'm not sure if anybody actually got saved, but I think I heard that like two of the nurses got saved. Like from talking to my grandma, who's dying in the hospital with cancer. So she's doing a better job than me. Like She's in the hospital dying, and this woman is evangelizing. That's how we respond. If the devil doesn't kill you, if you aren't in heaven yet, your job is to love people and to evangelize and to tell people how amazing our God is. And so that's how we respond to bad times. That's how we respond to these pivotal moments. My mom got breast cancer the same year my grandmother died of cancer just spread out in the body. My mom got breast cancer, and I said, okay, mom, what are we going to do? We hate cancer. I'm crying. You're crying. What's the game plan here? And my mom said, I don't know. I'm going to be all right. The Lord's going to take care of me. That's another example. That's how we respond. Now my mom free and clear of breast cancer. They did the chop everything off service, and she is good to go. Now she's a pastor's secretary, and she is irre- unreplaceable. I mean, I have heard from her pastors, we could not do this without Valerie. The Lord is using her. It wasn't her time to go. But she said, I'm going to be all right. God's got me. That's how we respond to these bad times. So, uh, Gandalf the Grey, I don't know if some of y'all know this, I'm kind of a nerd. I mean, I grew up in the time when Lord of the Rings was just coming out. Like, I was probably 12 or 13 when the first one came out, and my parents barely let me watch it. So Gandalf was having this talk with Frodo one time, right? And Gandalf was like, you know, we don't, get to choose what happens for us. And I'm going to read you the quote. All we have to do is decide what we want to do with the time that's given to us. Gandalf said it best. (laughs) You know? I mean, we, we don't pick. The Lord picks. What we do is we run to him. We get help if we need it. We probably need it. I need it. Uh, and then, you know, we thank him for everything he's doing in our lives. So here's, here's what we do. Uh, when we're going through pivotal circumstances, God is doing something in us to grow us so that he can do something through us that he's preparing us for. It might be later on in life. It might be in the moment, like my grandma's in the hospital and she's evangelizing to people. Here's the second part that we added on. How we respond to big pivotal moments will affect how we love God and we love people, and we help others do the same. 